0: we uh, grab a Bible. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 17 tonight. Uh, This is not a sermon that's part of a series, it's more of a one-off, but it's uh, still an important thing we're thinking about tonight. We're thinking about disciple making. So Acts chapter 17. This is an account of Paul's visit to uh, to Thessalonica, the city of Thessalonica, and how there came to be a church there. We know that there's, uh, there are two letters in our New Testament 1st and 2nd Thessalonians Where there is a church established there Paul interacts with them, writes to them Timothy's there and reports between them and Paul So we know what we're seeing here in Acts 17 Is kind of the beginning point of that church uh, That formed there uh, But I want to start just by reminding you The fact that a couple of weeks ago We had a very exciting church meeting uh, Our lead pastor Paul Rees Um, presented a a problem that breaks our hearts and a dream to grab our hearts. Uh, The heartbreaking problem is that we live in a city that is full of lost people and that we as a church, we are uh, to a degree in decline. But the heart-grabbing dream is to double in size by the year 2020 through our, what we hope, is a single-minded devotion to making disciples uh, others have heard that news as it's been spread through email even if you weren't there at the church meeting but I wonder how you respond to a vision like that I wonder how you respond to the to the appeal to recognize the plight of lost people in this city who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and I wonder if you have thought seriously about the the vision that was laid before us and that as a church we might double in size by 2020 and some of the baby steps towards that we might start reading the Bible one-to-one with someone uh, by the end of this year. How have we responded to that vision? Some of us certainly have responded well. We all surely get excited about that. I mean none of us really want to belong to a church where evangelism isn't isn't at the center or at the core of what we are or what we do. But yet I wonder if that excitement is tempered in some respect as we consider perhaps a lack of response. A lack of practical response. Maybe there isn't an awful lot that has changed in the last couple of weeks. Maybe there's maybe we've not really been thinking about the things that do need to change in order for us to even make it possible for us to take the baby steps to read the word one to one with someone who doesn't yet know the story of Christ, his death and his resurrection. And I suppose I'm coming tonight thinking that there are there are really two main obstacles that perhaps stand in the way of us achieving this goal. And I I, I feel these keenly in myself. The first is that we might be verbally committed, but practically disobedient. That is, there's something of a disconnect between what we say and what we do. So we'll say, yes, I'm in, but, well, we don't really do anything to to make it happen. So we'll say we'll play our part in helping people hear about Jesus, but perhaps we're unwilling to give up the things that we need to give up in order to make that happen. The second is that we are perhaps verbally committed, but practically ignorant That is, we're maybe just unsure about the changes that we need to make. We're maybe, we have the first step about reading the Bible one-to-one, but maybe we're unsure about some of the things that we need to do. We like the idea of making disciples, but we've never really taken the time to stop and think about how to do it. I see this in my own life, as I've said, and I think our problems in this regard lie in both mindset and method. We have on the one hand an attitude problem and on the other hand an aptitude problem and the reason I'm coming to Acts 17 tonight is to help us it's encouraged me as I've read through this text to see the Apostle Paul demonstrate I think the mindset and the method that is necessary for making disciples and so I want to read it to us this evening Acts 17 1 to 9 this is To give you just a little bit of background, Paul. This is uh, the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. He's visiting about 14 or 15 cities. There are five major cities uh, in in the middle of that journey, Uh, and he's just left in Acts 16. He's just left Philippi, where he's been beaten with rods, uh, but miraculously freed. And despite his bumps and bruises, he's seen people come to faith, and he is encouraged. Um, Do you think he might be deterred by the beatings? Do you think think he might want to change his message as he comes to Thessalonica? Well, let's see. Verse 1 says, When they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a, num- a large number of God-feeding Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city official, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd And the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post-bond and they let them go. Amen. This is God's words. Well, what we're looking at tonight, first of all, is this mindset of a disciple maker that we see in Paul. Um, It's undergirding everything we see Paul do in Acts 17 is this. uh, He considers himself a servant of God, uh, one who is called to do his work. And that's how it is for all of us. When it comes to the Great Commission, we need to understand what Christ has said in Matthew 28, that it it is a command that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. And when it comes to the Great Commission, we must understand that we are not uh, servants. We are servants of a master. We are not employees negotiating terms. Uh, Servants of God do not debate his commands, uh, question God's calling or negotiate favorable terms why because they recognize that he is Lord and we recognize that we are not Uh, Paul came to know this of course uh, for himself as he traveled on the Damascus road he was away out of a zeal for upholding the law of Moses he was breaking the law of Moses by putting Christians to death he was killing people And in Galatians chapter 1, we have this story of how he was accosted on the way by the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Galatians 1, he is retelling the story. And in verses 15 to 17, retells how God, who he claims had set him apart from birth, called Paul by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in him. And it's for this purpose, so that he might preach Christ among the Gentiles. And that is exactly what we find Paul doing uh, even here in this section between Acts fifteen thirty six and chapter 18, the second missionary journey. He's in the middle of this Mediterranean coastal city tour. And as he goes, he has one thing in mind. Make disciples, plant churches. And he's doing this simply because God has com- commandeered his life. Paul has come to the understanding that as a Christian, never mind an apostle, he knows that his life is no longer his own. He was bought at a price. So he would say in Romans chapter 14 verses 7 and 8, a letter he penned of course, that for none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We are not our own. In Romans 1, Paul would also say, in his introduction that i am paul a servant of christ jesus that's who he belongs to called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of god and this is paul's mission to share the gospel with those who have not heard it and as we've already seen to stop him you'd effectively have to kill him you would have to take his life because he is single-mindedly devoted to the task of making disciples in lots and lots of different places now the same is true for each and every one of us. We can't just say, well, that's Paul the Apostle. He has a particular calling. Oh, yes, of course he does. But we're also talking about Paul the Christian, who just a couple of lines down in Romans chapter 1 will also call us servants. We are those among those who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. That is, we too are those who do not belong to ourselves. We were bought at a price. Even Romans 14, 7 and 8 applies to us as much as it did to Paul. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we live, we live to the Lord. No one else. Sadly, all too often I think we see in ourselves divided hearts and divided loyalties. I see this in myself and I hate it. Sometimes it's the war of the sinful nature with what the Spirit's trying to do in us. We can say the things I want to do, I do not do, and what I hate, I do. But yet I know the sinful depths of my own heart where there is a complete disregard for the command of God and preference for just the thing that I want. Maybe you know it for yourself. We see in our hearts at times a willingness to obey, but only to an extent. A willingness to follow, but only so far. A willingness to serve, but only if it's not going to cost us too much of our precious time or money. Well, we're willing to share the good news, but only if there's minimal risk of rejection the problem highlighted by those types of responses is actually at the very core of our faith that we are not yet yielded entirely to Christ's lordship because even when we're putting boundaries up around the things that he's commanding us to do we're effectively retaining some control and that will only lead to a half-hearted approach to disciple making that will not bring glory to God. And actually it may bring us rebuke. So what shall we do? Well in response to that we need to regularly just fill our mind with truth. We need to obtain this right perspective on who God is and on who we are. That God in his holiness and majesty is doing something utterly wonderful by spreading this gospel from its place, that first little place in Jerusalem through Judea, Samaria, into Europe, into Asia, ends of the earth. He's doing that. And he's not writing the message in in clouds in the sky. He's using people like us with a voice box or the ability to pen a letter to tell people the glorious news of the Christ who suffered and died for our sins and who rose again to life in victory to share it with us we need to come to the cross again and see what it cost God to purchase our redemption the blood of the eternal son of God we need to realize that this disciple making mandate of Christ as he rightly says all authority in heaven And on earth. In other words, listen to me. Do what I say. He's already said earlier in John chapter 14, verse 15 if you love me, as we claim to, if you love me, you will what? Obey what I command. But we need to realize this disciple making mandate of Christ in the Great Commission has neither been rescinded nor fulfilled. And this command, this responsibility, this privilege of making disciples is ours. And in keeping with some of the parables that Jesus told, woe to us if the master returns and the lamps are out and we're asleep. I think these truths are the things that drove Paul. It was love for Christ that compelled him, love for the lost that compelled him. And that's the attitude that we need. That's the attitude we need. We're servants. Of a master. Are you willing to obey? Are we willing to obey no matter what the cost? So that our practical disobedience does not become an obstacle to disciple making. What about aptitude? If we are practically ignorant about what we should do to make disciples. If we don't know what changes we need to make in our lives This is where we come into Acts 17. It provides really a snapshot of Paul's method for us. And guess what? It's simple. It's simple. Get this. Paul's great method for making disciples is proclaiming the gospel from God's word. That's it. Proclaiming the good news from God's word. Look with me, verses 2 and 3. As his custom was, again and again, if you read through the section in Acts, you'll see that little phrase. This was his custom to look for a place where there was some inkling of a faith. Certainly, it was helpful having Jews there. They had a uh, they, they were reading some the scriptures that Paul was learned in from the beginning. He had memorised himself Genesis to Deuteronomy. He was able to engage with them in that regard. And philippi he looked for the place of prayer outside the city he looked for those who were perhaps god fearers and he did this paul went into the synagogue and on three sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that the christ had to suffer and rise from the dead this jesus i am proclaiming to you is the christ he said So quite simply, when it comes to method, use the Bible. Become learned in it. Read it. Absorb it. Enjoy it. Memorize it. And use it. Paul used the scriptures and why not? Does God speak ambiguously in it? Is he not clear in it? No, Paul had great confidence in the scriptures because he knew that when equipped with the knowledge of God's word, he was the bearer of a definitive message of God from his very mouth to the whole world. And it's a word that's living and active, a word that cuts deep to the heart, it convicts the sinner, it illumines the darkened minds of those who do not put their faith and trust in Christ. And see what Paul did, verse 2, he reasoned with them. The, the the meaning behind the Greek word, in there is to to say thoroughly, in other words, to discuss an exhortation. It's not just to He's not just saying this is what the Bible says. I'll maybe just leave it with that. It's it's this is what the Word of God says, and I'm pleading with you, believe this. You need to believe this. Here's the evidence. Here's what it says. Believe this. So there was heartfelt appeal behind this. Reasoning, So it's not just trying to answer all the questions. It's say thoroughly and discuss with exhortation. Then he, verse 3, explained. It means, thorough- basically it's the word expound. He opened it up. So people, open thoroughly so that people could see it for themselves. And then the second half of verse 3, proving that. Now this basically means to, this word means to place alongside. In other words, Paul was basically putting the life of Christ in history alongside what the scriptures said, so what the testimony was, about God's promised anointed one. That's why he goes on to say, in in essence, his message is, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. He's the king. He is the one God exists and he is the one that God promised to send who would do away with our sin by paying the penalty himself on the cross and who would prove himself to be the son of God by rising from the dead three days later. He said so himself, destroy this temple, referring to his body, and I will raise it again in three days. used the scriptures customarily to proclaim the gospel from God's word. That was his method and that should be ours. There's nothing technical or strange about it. This is why we love the word one to one as a resource. It is such a helpful thing to help us walk through the gospel of John. One of the narrative historical accounts of the life of Jesus that we have in the Bible. It's so simple to open it up And read through the section of what God's Word says and ask some questions about it and ask people to read it for themselves. It's a helpful thing to do. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I wonder if you would consider reading this with someone. You don't need to be scared about it. Lots of people have lots of ideas about Christianity that aren't actually founded on the Bible or anything that anyone has read in the Bible. And my encouragement to you is to do what I did when I was 19 years of age and set about reading it with someone to see if what it says is true because actually if what it says is true it's a life or death matter it's a heaven or hell matter it's a serious thing and so it's a good thing even if you're gonna decide that you're not gonna follow the Christian faith you're not gonna give your life to Christ then at least make sure you've read something of it in order to have a basis for your rejection, right? Otherwise, that would be quite silly. So why not read it with someone? And if we want to read the word one-to-one with someone, we can use that tool. We can use our Bible. We can use what's, what we've been taught as Christians. We can memorize God's word. All of these are useful tools to help us Share God's word with others. So if we want to make disciples. The simplicity in this text is. Let scripture be the means by which you share the good news. Show people who God is. How he has revealed himself to us through his word. Through his son. Whose steps are traced in his word all the way to the cross. And are explained all the way afterwards. And let God speak through his word. And exhort them. To come and believe in and receive his grace through believing in his name. Paul exhorted people from the scriptures like this and proclaimed Christ because that's what it's all about. Jesus said, These are the scriptures that testify about me. Everywhere we look, we are looking to Christ, we're explaining Christ. And this is what Paul focuses on every time. And what is central. What is central to a person's faith? It is the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we don't need to be anxious about sharing this. We don't need to be worried about it. If we know enough to believe, we know enough to share. Haven't we seen this? Haven't we seen this in people who come to faith? They're they're Christians for maybe just a few weeks or a few months and they are desperate to share everything that they are reading some things with us but certainly with other people who don't believe i remember when i first became a christian i i was flicking th- i was reading through the book of colossians which was quite important for me when i came to faith and i remember grabbing one of my friends scott and saying to him have you read this in colossians 1 that jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together he said yeah no he had read it he knew it but it's important just to share these things with one another to encourage one another how much more to open God's word and proclaim who Christ is to those who don't know so that they might know. It's simple, isn't it? Sometimes we tie ourselves up in knots. But proclaiming the gospel from God's word is what we are called to. The rest of this passage just quickly highlights for us the results of our disciple making. When we have the kind of attitude that says, okay, we are servants of God, we're going to be obedient to him. And when we, when we demonstrate this attitude in simply reading the Bible and proclaiming Christ from the scriptures, we will see exactly what we see in verses 4 to 9. In verse 4 we see some of them were persuaded, some believed. And here's our great dream, our heart's desire. More people praising God, more souls saved, more people knowing the great joy that we know in the faith. That's what we long for together as a church, isn't it? To see lives transformed by Jesus where people whose affections were fixed on material and temporary things find their hearts fixed on eternal things. And adoration and worship of Jesus. It's wonderful to see in this passage that we don't just see the gospel transform them in terms of their faith but in terms of their life objectives. Verse 4 says that they joined Paul and Silas. That effectively means that they joined Paul and Silas in their mission. We get to see this in the book of Thessalonians, well, we see it first of all in Acts 17 where they then go out of the synagogue, some of these believing Jews. They go out and out of the synagogue into the marketplace, into the streets, into their community and they are sharing the gospel with other people too. They are passing on which, what they have themselves have received. And it's wonderful to see that when Paul is writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 Paul lauds them and praises God for the sure evidence of their faith and the fact that what they received they're passing on. In fact, the message is sounding forth loudly from them north, south, to all areas. In fact, they're proclaiming Christ in such a way that the gospel is being spread beyond the boundaries of their own city and beyond the boundaries of their own region. To the point that Paul will even say that news of your faith has been made known everywhere. Everywhere. Those who believe the gospel take up the gospel torch and start proclaiming that message too. And that's what we see in verse 4. The word spread in those, from those who believe. But we also see the reality is that when we share this gospel message, not all will believe, some will reject. We see this in verse 5 and following. In Thessalonica, this new church effectively disturbed the peace. And there's a reminder for us of the persecution that Jesus himself warned us about. That just as those who accept the gospel join in the mission of the church, many who reject the gospel will join in the anti-mission of the church. They'll be against it. And that hatred, of course, surfaces in different ways. We won't necessarily be hauled before authorities like Jason was. Perhaps we will. But we may know what it's like to be ostracized by some, slandered by others, whether it's in our families or in our social circles. We may be criticized by others for the kind of things we believe. You really believe that? They'll say. But this is to be expected. As much as we can expect many to be saved to eternal life. Because Jesus said it would happen. He has said in Luke twelve fifty one. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, division. Some accepting. Some rejecting. But we mustn't be discouraged by this. We certainly shouldn't make this an excuse for not sharing the gospel. I feel like we sometimes do that. I feel like we need to understand that not everyone out there is some some mad raving Richard Dawkins who's about to take us apart with his wonderful philosophical arguments etc I think that from what I've experienced in the times I've been sharing the gospel recently the number of people that I speak to actually just don't have any position they don't really know we are speaking into a city that is that largely does not know the gospel story does not really know what Christianity is all about They are more agnostic than atheist, perhaps. But we should be free to speak. Because again, our confidence is not in our powers of persuasion, is it? Our confidence is in the word that we are called to broadcast. Broadcast. So let's not be ashamed, Uh, let's not be frightened. Let's not be disobedient as we have this exciting vision laid before us. Let's be bold. Let's be full of faith. Practical disobedience doesn't need to be an obstacle to our 2020 vision if we adopt this attitude of servants. If we live, we live to the Lord. And practical ignorance doesn't need to be an obstacle to our disciple making if we resolve with simplicity to proclaim the gospel from god's word simple let's pray please take a few seconds yourself just to pray in response